Welcome to the Light Reading Podcast. My name is Phil Harvey. I'm an editor here at Light Reading. I'm Kelsey Sizer. I'm also an editor at Light Reading. And hi, I'm Jamie Linderman. I am research manager and principal analyst at Omdia. Hello, Welcome, Jamie. Jim. Jinx. Hi. Thanks for having me. <laughs> Thanks for being here. Um, so we're going to be seeing you at the Big 5G event uh, in Austin here pretty soon. And I know you've got uh, a panel discussion about um, convergence of fixed and 5G networks. Can you give us a little preview on what that'll be about? Yeah, it's, uh, you know, this is a huge topic right now. And I guess first to start off, why are we doing fixed topic at a wireless conference? Um, <laughs> I really, th I mean, I th think that's an important question. Um, but I think it's important to realize that wireless and wireline, the lines between the two are blurring more and more every day. Um, especially with the introduction of 5G and um, the proliferation of small cells. Um, I think that the topic of physical convergence on the network side uh, between fixed and wireless networks is due to the fact that operators are trying to uh, enhance their access network operations and services, and therefore... Um, it's more cost effective if they can run everything over a single network. Um, it takes a lot of time and a lot of effort, but we're going to be talking about that, what sort of architectural steps that need to be taken um, and how to build them out. So we have some two great speakers, um, one from Cox and one from U.S. Cellular. Um, so I look forward to it. So since Verizon introduced its Fios service back in the I don't know, the early 2000s, I think it was like 2004 or something like that. There's all, they've always put forth uh, this uh, kind of vision of the ultimate access network, which included, you know, fiber going to, uh, to homes and businesses and then passing by cell towers. And I was curious how much of that vision has become a reality in the US. And I, I wonder like how much of the 5G network now is powered by or backed by uh, fiber access? You know, that's a really good question. I don't have any you know, specifics on that, but I think overall with the idea of fixed mobile convergence has taken a really long time to come into the fold. There was a lot of people that said, it's not necessary. It's, it's too, you know, cost intensive. Uh, we'll just, but really the introduction of 10 gig pond has really changed all of that and the capacity of, of the network that access has now. Um, and I think moving forward, even with 25 gig pond and 50 gig pond and, you know, and beyond, um, yeah. <laughs> I, I, I think it allows more opportunities for non-residential applications, um, you know, supporting, supporting mobile backhaul. Um, supporting small medium enterprises on a point to point uh, point to multi point network, um, as well as um, supporting um, retail situations. You know, um, a lot of uh, multi multi use access. You know, MDUs. Yeah, I'm glad you brought brought up um, the kind of the small business and retail and the, those sorts of things because those those have been connected to. Uh, kind of legacy networks for the longest time, you know, because the right. throughput needed for POS point of sale machines and things like that was relatively small. 
And I know telcos just left those things nailed up, you know, those old connections nailed up as long as they could. But now uh, there seems to be m- much more demand to modernize, uh, you know, the, the connections to uh, retail establishments because they're wanting to do more uh, cloud services and things like that. Are there any particular, besides the cloud, I mean, or maybe that's it, are there any particular applications that are driving more pawn uh, deployments into um, uh, both, you know, small to medium businesses and also uh, kind of specialty markets like retail and, uh, and, and some of those, um, uh, you know, I guess, restaurants and branch offices and stuff like that? Yeah, I, well, I guess to one example I can give that's, it's a little outside small, medium enterprise, um, but it came about from my trip to China a couple of weeks ago. I got to tour a 5G factory um, cool. and they were using um, 10 gig pawn to uh, connect um, various communication aspects and surveillance aspects of, of the factory. Um, they weren't being used for time sensitive application, um, but it was being used, you know, to help power 5G FWA. Um, and um, so those two access technologies really were, were taking place in there. Um, I think the point of sale thing is very interesting from a retail perspective. Um, I think, you know, potentially think about retail and, you know, you think about a place that has lots of televisions and is streaming lots of different content. Um, mm-hmm. it, it's a lot different than being, you know, plugged into the wall as before. Um, so that that's pretty much my my perspective on on where that's going. It's just the capacity is is there. It's allowing you know higher speed content um, content to be available applications. Um, and so and so yeah, it's. Um, it's a really interesting time um, for those establishments that uh, were necessarily connected by, you know, best efforts or by point-to-point cable. Uh, it's really an opportunity for operators to, you know, create a new business case using Pawn. Um, and then uh, um, just some other uh, topics that might be covered um, at the Big 5G event. Do you foresee maybe in your panel or in, in some other conversations, um, discussions around, you know, fiber deployments in rural areas um, or, uh, you know, how, how folks are going to be using bead fund um, money. Any thoughts on, do you think that'll come up at all or any thoughts yeah. you have on, on those? So um, I'll be chairing the fiber access track as well. And we have a really great presentation from Gary Bolton. He's the president and CEO of the Fiber Broadband Association. And he's going to do an industry address around bridging the North American digital divide and the role of of 5G in that. So really what's this speed funding, we're talking a lot about broadband, but how is it going to affect 5G networks? And it is definitely going to affect 5G networks. And so he's going to talk about some of the ways and that um, he foresees and in, in the Fiber Broadband Association foresees um, where 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 the bead funding can, you know, flow out to. Yeah, I can't imagine he would have opinions on that, but I guess <laughs> I guess we'll wait and see. <laughs> um yeah, it's. Well, I wonder, uh, you know, how. I mean, it seems to me that fixed wireless access. I know that's not. It's not a fiber topic, but I know fixed wireless access is um, is incredibly complementary to 
uh, to to fiber deployments because it seems like if you can get PON or uh, to uh, to or near enough to a cellular uh, antenna or a cell site, you could reach um, you know depending on where it is, you could reach a lot of homes you know through line of sight and and quick connectivity. Um, I, I'm I'm curious. Uh, how many uh, operators that aren't the, you know, the, the, the kind of the, I don't know, tier two operators, how many of them are looking at opportunities like that? Um, that'd be, that'd be something to see. And maybe, may, maybe that'll help with the, with the uh, digital divide as well, because you can get fiber. I know you can get fiber close enough in some places, but the bu- building out to every home is still, um, still pretty expensive and hard to do in a lot of the country. Yeah, definitely. Um, fixed wireless access is is a viable application for wireless, and you know we we've it's not a new technology. We've seen four G LTE FWA for a long time, and um, you know the introduction of five G is is allowing places that, like you said, you know potentially can't have fiber pulled due to restrictions or um, it's not cost effective. Um, it, fixed wireless access can play a really good role in that. And I think some of the advancements we've seen in 5G FWA with beam forming and reflection, um, I think have been uh, really valuable to the industry and have really helped drive the, that application further. Um, but I think I think fixed wireless access in, in rural areas is not, you know, it's not going to go away anytime soon. It's sort of fill in the, use fiber, use, you know, next gen cable, and then fill in the footprint with, um, with fixed wireless access. Mm-hmm. It's, um, that, 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 that sounds like a, that sounds like that'll work. I, I'm, I'm really curious. Yeah. I'm very curious to see how the, how the different states apply bead funding to kind of make that a reality and where, where they decide the, um, the priority needs to be. Um, so that's something we can't possibly answer, but it's definitely worthy of debate, you know, in, in sessions like the one you're chairing, because I, I, I do want to hear what every, everyone's perspective on where this stuff could, uh, you know, where we could use the most money, the most, you know, do the most good with the most money, I guess, or something like that. Yeah, and I think one thing, you know, we talk about bead funding a lot, and I think one thing that kind of gets lost is this is this is going to be used to close the digital divide, mm-hmm. um, you know, and it's uh, it's interesting that, you know, if you think about it, 5G can be used to close the digital divide is essentially what we're saying. Um, and. Sure. And so it's going to be a really interesting conversation, I think, to have support of that notion, um, as well as uh, how fiber is going to support 5G as well. Yeah, it all and kind that, of comes goes hand in hand. So it'll, yeah. it'll be interesting to see. Uh, Kelsey, I think I stepped on what you were, you were about oh, to no, ask. I was so. just going to say, we're definitely going to have to, um, like, uh, your, your whole track on fiber access, FWA, and the digital divide looks really interesting and i noticed there's also a fireside chat with uh element eight and it said that they received 200 million um from uh, a private equity firm digital alpha to help with um pushing their fixed wireless access and and fiber services and they're also going to be working with um tirana for fwa so that looks like that'll be a really interesting um 
to to hear about how that'll help some rural households as well. Yeah, and I think it's interesting with um, Tirana is is it's not a three GPP um, solution; it's a proprietary wireless solution, and they they it's very interesting. And you know, I've I've been able to see you know a demo, and um, it, it's I think it's really interesting work that they're doing, and they're making progress. Yeah, yeah they definitely keep coming up a lot <laughs> in that area. Yeah. <laughs> yeah, I think the non-line of sight thing is a, is a big um, a big selling point for those guys because mm-hmm. that is that has become the downfall of a lot of FWA solutions for residences and the fact that they can just kind of get it close enough and still get a reasonable throughput. It, at least that's that's what the selling point is. <laughs> right. um, I, I don't know how it works in the field. I haven't seen it. I don't know anybody who has the equipment, but I know that that's apparently something that you know, the operators that they're working with seem to be really happy about that. They don't have to be completely perfect line of sight that it can, it can be, um, there can be a little bit of, uh, of a gray area and then they can still, um, put a, put a good enough signal through to reach people. And I think that's part, part of what the digital divide, um, issue is going to come down to is, you know, at first, is this a perfect solution? Maybe not, but, you know, and maybe it's not even the thing that's going to be what we use in the long term. But, you know, can it get somebody who's not connected, connected now? And, you know, can it get them on the internet? Can it get them doing remote learning and, you know, participating in the economy in some other way? I mean, I think that's really, hopefully that's where there will be a heavy bias in that direction. Um, But, Again, ain't my money, so we'll see. (laughs) Um, Well, you know, and that sort of, you know, that sort of reminds me of, you know, something that I hope people don't forget is those images during the pandemic, you know, when it first started of, of, of children having to sit in their parents' car uh, next to their school library because they didn't have, you know, enough access at home. Um, I think that's really a story that should be tied to the bead funding, um, that, that we really realize there is that huge digital divide and, and children are, are, it's having effect on their education. Um, and if everybody thinks too, that like this goes away after we go back into in-person classes, you couldn't be more wrong because any, any kid in high school who's had to go through the college selection application and funding process, you know, which is what we all aspire to do as American kids, you know, getting out of high school, everybody wants to go through that process. I'm telling you, there is no such thing as doing this stuff in person anymore. It's all completely digitized. You have to be hooked into these databases. You have to get alerts. You have, you know, 90% of your first meetings with any of these advisors is going to be over Zoom. You know, so it really is important. It's if you're not sufficiently on some kind of broadband, I, or, or at least an incredibly resilient cellular connection, I really don't see how a lot of this stuff gets done. And I would say, probably more to the point of it being, you know, the, especially because you're dealing with academic institutions and stuff. This is really a desktop thing. You know, it, it it's it's a you know, especially for education, you don't need, or you do cellular connectivity helps, 
but you really need broadband access on your desk on a desktop computer or a laptop of some sort. And um, I, I think that's kind of maybe a missing point in the digital divide discussion is like the practicality of it. And the fact that because it's so efficient, um, you know, colleges just simply won't see these kids, you know, they said they, they, there was just no way for them to, to rise above the crowd and get their information uh, in circulation unless they're hooked into, um, you know, these application portals, these databases and uh, the, the, these sort of uh, things. Okay. End of rant. Sorry. Uh, Kelsey, do you have any other questions? <laughs> no, that's a solid rant. <laughs> no, no, I, I, I totally uh, agree. <laughs> Go ahead, Jamie. Yeah, no, I agree. And I think, you know, what's interesting you, you said about a really good cellular connection or being, you know, desktop access is, you know, the capacity differences, the average broadband user in a home is a power user. Now what we call the power mm-hmm. user five years ago, um, you know, 800, 800 gigabits a month of usage and the capacity on the cellular network doesn't want to, the operators, carriers don't want to deal with that. That's right. it's too cumbersome on their network. And if you look at sort of these converged integrated operators, they want the, they want their, uh, they want their cellular customers to get off their cellular network as fast as they can back onto a wireline connection. Um, so I think that's another driver in, um, in sort of using fixed wireless or, or pulling fiber or, you know, upgrading networks um, is, is really to, to keep costs down. <laughs> yeah. Despite yeah, the CapEx that's involved. Yeah. Yeah, I think it does. It does help that in the long term. Um, speaking of kind of pushing us up the stack in terms of where our usage in that, that is interesting that the the what is the average user now would have been considered some crazy anomaly a few years ago. <laughs> you right. know, like like we're just chewing through that much data. What do and you I think? Hate is to gonna... say, I was that crazy anomaly five years ago, so I yeah. feel normal now. <laughs> yeah, exactly. What what I'm pushes us beyond like uh, some video games and stuff? <laughs> <laughs> yeah, the I whole, can't uh... figure out controllers. <laughs> okay, never mind. <laughs> Something else. <laughs> she's no, just she's watching, waiting on like, virtual sort of reality streaming services at yeah. once, like Netflix, yeah. Prime. Yeah, I'm just binging Succession all the time. <laughs> there you go. But you have to do it in 8K, or, or it doesn't count, right? Right. Exactly. So. <laughs> <laughs> um, how, what what do you think pushes us to uh, beyond ten uh, G pon, uh, you know, into uh, in, into those? Is it is it just going to be regular broadband usage, or are there other applications that are kind of moving, uh, you know, moving the demand upward? Because I, I was I was, you know, as we're going through earnings right now, or looking th- at earnings reports and stuff, uh, I think it was Altice USA was talking about, you know, in some limited basis having an eight gig. Uh, fiber service that they're going to uh, either announce or give more detail about uh, here and then in the very near future. And I mean, wow, that's, that's something. <laughs> yeah, I did see that. That was really interesting. And I think that's what 10 gig enables uh, 10 gig pawn enables is those eight gig speeds. And I think when we're looking at next gen with 25 gig pawn, uh, we're looking at guaranteed speeds of 10 or 20 and you can, take that and use it for a small medium enterprise scenario. Um, You can guarantee SLAs that way. um, And it's more cost effective to connect these enterprises with point to multi-point. I, and and, and not to mention the energy savings. Um, 
in addition, um, I think that um, the use, you know, then we look at 50 GigCon, which is really going to enable that huge capacity that, you know, next step up from 25 GigCon. They're both going to enable enterprise. They're both going to enable high capacity. Um, And I think, you know, we're still waiting for both those technologies to really ramp. 25 gig PON is commercialized and it's available on the market. Um, And there's a couple vendors that are offering it. Um, And then 50 gig PON, we probably won't see shipments of ports for that until 2024, the earliest. Um, So I really think that the additional drivers, it's not only guaranteeing higher bandwidth at home, because um, I think we're going to reach an inflection point with residential where it has to be enough, you know, and that's yeah. my personal opinion, you know, um, operators may not like that. I have to say that, but, um, <laughs> <laughs> but no, we joke about reach, it, but there really yeah. isn't that much you can do with more than a gig right now at, at the, in right. the average home, basically. And I think, you know, what I heard from an operator is that, um, is, the next step is to serve like low latency services, you know, or as we, you know, as, as we hear them called like gamer packages. Um, And I think that's really the next step is the quality of it's not just the the pipe, but it's the quality of the service that's coming into the home um, based on the applications that the the end user is doing. Um, But there's going to be a huge opportunity for enterprise uh, with, with 25 gig and 50 gig pond. Um, and we're already seeing that. Um, well, Jamie, thanks so much for um, joining us and and for this great preview. Um, I know there's going to be so much to talk about <laughs> during those sessions. Um, so looking forward to hearing from you uh, in person, the event. Yeah, thanks so much for having me. Look forward to seeing you. We'll see you in Austin. Thanks. See you in Austin. Take care. Uh-huh.